You are listening to Anna Letitia Cook at Women Up Radio. Good evening and welcome to Women Up Radio. Today's guest is Elaine Slatter. Elaine has an extensive corporate resume spanning over 30 years of experience in manufacturing, retail and distribution. She was the CEO of the Canadian operations for a US manufacturer, as well as the owner of a retail business. When she left corporate, she became the founder and CEO of Excel Consulting Group. This consultancy is a small business advisory and it specializes in entrepreneurial startups and businesses that aren't experiencing their full potential. Also, and most important, she's a very strong advocate for women's leadership and growth. So welcome back to the show, Elaine. It's lovely to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you again, Anna. It's been a while. And I know. Of course, it's been an exciting time for you and an exciting time for me, I think. <laughs> Definitely. It's been, what, three years? It must be three years yeah. ago. And I know last time we spoke about women's entrepreneurial skills. Um, and I know you've got a lot of experience in that and in helping women develop. So what do you see as happening with women's entrepreneurship at the moment? And has there been much change over the last few years, particularly since we last spoke? Yes, I think there has been a big change in the last couple of years with COVID. I think when COVID uh, happened, um, you know, women left the workforce, the corporate world in droves because they really didn't have any choice if they had a family because they had to stay at home, they had children at home, they had to homeschool them, Um, the kids were in and out of school. So it was a very rough time. And um, if they were in a corporate job, sometimes they just couldn't handle that whole thing of being working you know, with kids, minding kids at the same time. And so many women sort of took some time, maybe three months, six months and said, okay, this isn't for me. What can I do? Is there a business I could start from home? And so, yes, I think in the last couple of years, more women have flocked to entrepreneurship and they're very creative. So they've come up with all different kinds of businesses. So what do you think, what strengths and qualities do we need to become a successful entrepreneur? And how do these compare with the strengths and qualities needed for successful leadership? Are they interchangeable or is there more of a lean one way or the other? Well, I think for the first time, uh, women who want to go into the entrepreneurial world need a lot of self-belief. So it's a time when you have to kind of take stock of all your assets, you know, what what you're good at and really believe in that and um, not get distracted by I'm not good enough. Um, You know, nobody's going to listen to me. I don't have all the qualifications, all that self-doubt stuff. You have to really work on yourself to Um, be mindful, be in the present and actually believe in yourself. Because if you don't believe in you, nobody else is going to. So I think women tend to um, stay in the background and they think if they toot their own horn, they're being, 
egotistical, more like a male, you know, all these yeah. other things. But you know what? Women have to get over that part and say, okay, if I don't believe in myself and I'm not willing to get out there and get in front of people, then somebody else's, you know, it could yeah. be a guy or it could be another woman, but yeah. why isn't it you? you? You really have to start with that big self-belief and get yeah. rid of the self-doubt. And I think another thing when you're starting in entrepreneurship is often you start as a solopreneur. Yep. And that's a very lonely uh, path if you're not used to it, because you're the one and only of everything. Yes. You know, you're your own bookkeeper, you're your own marketing department, your own sales department, your own customer service department. And you've got to come up with your own product or your own services. So you might be looking at packaging and um, des graphic design and website development. You know, there's a ton of stuff that you have to do. So the first uh, thing I would say to that question is find somebody to help you. Find a group, um, get mentorship, get coaching. Yeah. Don't be shy about that. Put some money into that if, you're, if you don't feel that you're strong enough to take on that sole proprietorship. And also make use of um, services such as Fiverr. I use Fiverr. Yeah. Um, for my podcast editing, and I found the best um, editor in Bosnia, and I'm here in Canada, so it's a long way away. She <laughs> gives me A1 service, yeah. never been late. Yeah. Her work is absolutely perfect, and the price is unbelievably inexpensive. So, um, you know, for the, for the $10 per episode, I couldn't do it myself. I'd be spending hours. So yeah. stuff like that. So don't be afraid to outsource at the beginning, yeah. because if you are a sole proprietor, you need to know what stuff you absolutely have to do, what yeah. other things that you can give to somebody else and, you know, and, and give up perfectionism. That's the second thing. <laughs> don't, be, nothing has to be absolutely perfect. Yeah. I mean, I learned that in the corporate world. I used to say to my staff, look, if they were anxious about doing a project, I'd say to them, look, this isn't rocket science. We have a process. If you follow the process, everything's going to work out okay. Yeah. There's a team around you that if you need help, put up your hand and don't be afraid to ask for help because that's really important that we know where you're struggling and you know what? It It's not the end of the world if something goes wrong. Everything yeah. can be fixed. Yeah. So that's the thing to remember when you're in entrepreneurship too. There's nothing that's, you know, a catastrophe usually. And everything can be fixed. So, you know, make sure you have a team of people around you. They don't have to be employees, but people you can count on to help you out of a fix. Yeah. And there you go. You just yeah. go for it. Don't spend a long time deciding, oh, should I, shouldn't I get your business plan together, even if you're going to change it, you know, you've got to do some research to see if you have a market or not, yep. and, and just go for it. You can always pivot, change direction, yeah. change anything in yeah. your business, as long as you know what you want to change and why you want to change it. So, you know, and the other thing I would say, if you're starting out, um, is entrepreneurship is different than a corporate job because 
in entrepreneurship, you're taking a risk. You're taking a financial risk, right? In a corporate job, you're not really taking a risk. Somebody has hired you to do X, Y, Z, and they're going to pay you every week, whether you're good at it, not good at it. I mean, if you're not terrible at it, you're not <laughs> going to keep your yeah. job, right? <laughs> but I mean, you are going to get a paycheck every single week. Well, yeah. entrepreneurship isn't like that. So my other suggestion is that you have at least one year of savings put aside so that during that first year when you perhaps don't have the sales that you expected, um, you've got a cushion there. Yes. And also, you know, if it's possible to start your entrepreneurship as a side gig, so you yes. get a taste of it. What What is it like? Uh, am I cut out for this? Especially if you're doing the transition from the corporate world and you've never done entrepreneurship before. Yes. It's a whole different world. So I think you do need to be prepared. Um, are there things that are in common? Um, leadership. If you yes. had a leadership position in the corporate world, you are well ahead of the game going into the entrepreneurial world because you understand um, what leadership is. Yep. You've developed your leadership style. You know how to corral teams. You know how to motivate teams. You know how to um, get projects off the ground. All those kinds of things that you will need as an entrepreneur. They're slightly different, you know, especially at the startup. But you definitely, if you are trying to grow your business to, you know, 100K, 200, 1 million, wherever you're going, leadership skills, I can't emphasize enough, because at some point, you're going to be out of sole proprietorship, and then you'll be a corporation, and yeah. you'll need those same corporate leadership skills that you had in the corporate world. Yeah. And do you think, because obviously, you're originally from the UK, um, You've been living in Canada for years, um, and you also worked as CEO of an American company, the Canadian part of it. So you've got the experience of UK, Canadian, American. Do you see a different mentality or different skills that are necessary in the different countries? Or are they all the same? I only ask because I work so much with other countries in Europe and you can have a huge culture difference between the UK and France or France and Greece or, you know, and you have to really take into account the different way of thinking, the different beliefs of what is good and what isn't good, because we really do think very differently. So do you see that with these Anglo-Saxon cultures, are they similar or are they still very distinct? differences? I think uh, generally in business, there is a common business culture. Mm -hmm. But I definitely think you're absolutely right that each country has its own culture, which uh, shades or colors the all businesses, you know, um, and uh, the public sector, the private sector. Um, yes, when we were um, working on a lot of cross-border projects, um, when I was in the corporate world, we had divisions all over the world. We had um, factories in China, we had uh, 
factories in Indonesia, Australia, the US, Mexico. We had offices in the UK. We had them all over Europe, the Middle East. And when I was in that corporate world and we were moving our customer service department from the US to Canada, one of the reasons it wasn't really successful, the international customer service department, was because it was very Americanized. It had been in San Francisco, it had been in Wichita. And so I pitched to my boss, his boss, who was a Brit, funnily right. enough, <laughs> yeah. um, that the reason it would be a good fit to have that department in Canada is that Canada is a very, very multicultural country. Yep. We have every culture under the sun. Yeah. And because our office was maybe uh, about three quarters of an hour outside of the Toronto airport, people settled from the different countries, settled in the area. So if you wanted any kind of language skill, if you needed uh, Portuguese, if you needed um, Spanish, you know, Latin American Spanish, because we had um, a lot of business in Latin America. So we needed the Portuguese of Brazil and we needed the Spanish from Peru and Ecuador and that side rather than the European Spanish. Yep. We needed Urdu. We, um, we needed the Middle East languages. And so um, that's what we did. Yep. And we hired all the different people that understood those cultures so that when they were servicing them, you yep. know, overseas orders, we were shipping the orders from all our factories all over the world and coordinating it and talking to the customers in their own language if they needed to yeah. be. Yeah. So yeah. yes, absolutely, there is a cultural difference. And even um, working with our U.S. head office, it was a, a very different, very different. Yeah. Um, we had different uh, executives. Yeah. Sometimes we had a Canadian CEO. Sometimes we had a U.S. CEO. And sometimes we had an Australian CEO. So as part of the leadership team, I found it fascinating and really important to understand where that CEO's thinking was coming from. Yep. And then you could serve back your idea in messaging and in the language that uh, he was used to hearing and used yeah. to working in. Yeah. And you weren't forcing your culture on his culture. Yeah. After all, he was the CEO, right? Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, we had to learn how to adapt. Yeah. And um, I think actually Europeans and, and Brits and Canadians are very used to adapting yeah. because we're not the dominant business culture. I mean, the U.S. to be, and, and, you know, to, to be honest, is the number one still in the world. Yeah. China is there too, but in in the way businesses run, the U.S. I would say is clearly still the leader. Yeah. And so, um, even though our culture is different, we we learned how to pitch yeah. and make suggestions in a way that they could understand yeah. and they could implement. Yeah. And if you work that way collegially understanding the different cultures, um, what drives people, um, you know, and it's different in every culture, then I think you're going to have a very successful international business. Yeah, yeah. And I think, do you think that that transfers also to entrepreneurship? Even when you're starting small, um, 
the different countries view it in a different way and the support is a different way again so yeah. depending on where you start you may or may not get a different vision of what it is and what the success of entrepreneurship is um, and what's necessary to do it do you find that or am I barking up the wrong tree there no, I do believe that. Um, for example, there is a business out in Nova Scotia, which is in, on the Atlantic eastern side of Canada that produces probiotics. Uh, it's called the Cultured Coconut. And it is a company that's selling all over the globe. And it's yeah. a refrigerated product. So they would have to understand yeah. how to export that to the different countries yep. given that it's a refrigerated product and how is it going to be handled across yep. um you know in the shipping part of it what kind of containers how long is it going to sit on the dock in yes. or on the runway or whatever and and so they really have to understand what countries they're exporting to yep. and how to do it efficiently cost effectively is it a good idea to go into that country with that product or is it prohibitive? Because yeah. sometimes you have to say, no, no, that's not a good fit. Now, if you've got, if you're a service provider and you're providing services, you still have to understand how your audience in different parts of the world would view you. Yeah. And does your style fit that cultural style yeah. of that country? Yeah. Because, um, you know, having been raised in Britain, I would say the Brits and the Canadians and the Americans are very direct. But there are a lot of cultures where directness is yeah. offensive. Exactly. If you haven't sort of built that longer cultural um, get to know you part, they they think you're rude. Yeah. You yep. know, and, and we're not rude. We're not yep. rude at all. It's yep. just that our cultures on business is totally different. Yeah. And therefore we want to go snap, 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 yeah. ABC, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and not every country is like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very interesting. I know the, the different countries that I've worked in, I've had to, well, I've had to become a chameleon because yes, exactly. they, if I do my traditional British way, some of mm -hmm. them would be like, Ugh. You know, yes um exactly. but then it, others if i'm not stronger or more direct they'd be like oh she's useless because you know she doesn't do it so you just i found i've had to really learn what mm -hmm. they believe what they find insulting what they find yes. strength or power or positivity etc and then try and sort of negotiate and that's you know, right navigate not negotiate navigate sorry <laughs> yeah navigate so that what you're delivering is what they're looking for and yep. what they want yeah exactly mm -hmm. so rather I know, than what you know uh what you know and how you would teach a brit or an yep. american or a canadian yeah yeah, yeah. it's but exactly I've, the same substance but just yeah. delivered in a different way but I found I moved back to the UK three years ago because before mm -hmm. that I was in France and in Spain. And so, I mean, I am British. I mean, OK, I'm dual nationality, British and Irish, but, you know, I'm British. And I've been living out of the UK for over 20 years when yeah, I came wow. back. I found I'd forgotten 
how mm -hmm. British people do things. And there were things that people were doing and saying. And I was like, oh, God, I'd forgotten that. And I had to adapt <laughs> to being back in the UK. And I found that really strange because I really didn't expect that. But you can get so used to moving in a different stream that sort of coming back to basics, it can be quite interesting. <laughs> So. Yes, I, I actually find the same thing when I come back to the UK for vacation. My brother and sister-in-law and my nieces live in the yeah. UK. So I come back. I haven't been back for a while because of COVID. But yeah. um, when I come back, um, you know, I, there's certain things that I will not do anymore. And when it's driving. And when yeah. I think that when I was young, I drove all around the place and didn't yeah. think anything of it. But yeah. that's an, on my no list. Right. <laughs> Uh, and I'm not even interested in relearning how to drive on the other side of the road. But yes, it, it is different. And yeah. uh, when I come back to Canada, my family, my my own children laugh yeah. at me because they think I've in in a month I've become a Brit again, right? Because I've chameleoned again back into being a Brit. So yeah, it is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I think uh, that's one of the wonders of uh, travel. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's good fun. So anyway, mm -hmm. another thing I wanted to ask you, I know that you've created a really wonderful, thriving community of independent women in leadership. Um, now, I've heard a little about it. I don't know much about it. So can you tell us more about what it is, what it does, how it works? Because it sounds like it could be a model that would be really good for people to be able to recreate in their own region. Because if women can support each other in leadership to help each other along, it's great. You know, everyone helping each other. But tell us more about it. Yeah, well, I, um, I'm into giving back to the community now that I'm not in the corporate world. I didn't have time to give back to women at that time. Yeah. But I realized that women aren't as far along in business as they should be. You know, some are, but some aren't. Yeah. And what could we do to help them? So I got together with um, some people that I really admired that were I considered leaders in the in our local community. And I pitched the idea of women in leadership. Yeah. And I also pitched it to the local Chamber of Commerce. And they were kind of yeah. thrilled at the, at the time. Yeah. And this is a lesson learned that I'll share with you. And so we did start originally under the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. And um, our mandate was to educate women and bring them along in leadership and help them with their businesses. So that was our mandate. And we had decided to do monthly meetings and bring in speakers so that on topics that women were interested in from a women's perspective. Yeah. And that way it would bring along more women into thinking more strategically and growing their businesses. So we started off like that. And we did that for a year. Yeah. But um, working with organ within an organization is sometimes a little difficult. Yeah. And we had a mandate that we wanted to do this every month. And I think the chamber felt that that was too much. It took too much effort for, on their side. We were all organized. We had yeah. our speakers. We had their bios. We had their photos. Yeah. But the chamber wasn't ready to actually 
execute a program 12 months of the year, right? Really? They, want, they wanted to do it more slowly. Oh, and we God. thought, oh my gosh, no, we want to get going. Yeah. So at the end of the year, we kind of parted ways with the chamber because yeah. they were going in a different direction. Yeah. They wanted maybe quarterly events and yeah. maybe one big event. And we yeah. wanted to keep the momentum going, yeah. do 12 events and also uh, have a big event. Yeah. So we sort of splintered off and did our own thing. The chamber actually has hardly done anything in I've the two it. years since then. And we've gone along and we've had 24 events. And then we had a huge event. The last time we actually physically got together, which was 500 women that we put into a local um, um, huge venue run yeah. uh, owned by a woman. And yeah. we had a fantastic event. And to get 500 women out for our first event was in, incredible. It's and that wasn't... It, that wasn't just us as yeah. independent women in leadership. It was working together with seven other women's group to put this yeah. on and to raise money for our local United Way women's and children's programs. So we raised $24,000 that first really? year mm -hmm, oh, in that one event. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. And that's the power of women working together. Yeah. We all had different yeah. strengths. One girl was extremely good with sponsorships. Yeah. Um, some of us were good at selling, you know, um, vendor spots. Yeah. Some people were great at meet and greet. Some were yep. fantastic at social media. Whatever their strength was, we'd lean on them. And working together, we put on that incredible event. But then COVID hit. So yep. we decided, okay, what are we going to do? We continued our monthly meetings on Zoom. Oh, well so they're done, done through Meetup for yeah. our independent women in leadership. Yeah. So when you do it on Meetup, Meetup has its own community of people that are looking for meetups in their local yeah. area. So we have over 500 women all around the world now, oh, um, really? but still predominantly in Canada, I would say. Yeah. Um, that come to our workshops that we hold monthly because they're all on zoom so we yeah. network on zoom the workshops on zoom and eventually we'll go back to in-person events yeah. but not until we're comfortable and we think it'll be at least uh, the spring of 2022 before yeah. that's going to happen yeah where everybody's comfortable doing yeah. it you know i see a few live events going on but many people still are a little you know yeah. iffy about that so we're yeah. going to give it a break until the spring of yeah. 2022 and so what we did for raising money is we got together with the united way and they said we said what can we do we know we can't meet in person and they said well we have an online platform we can do online auctions and we said seven 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 groups of women said okay that's what we'll do so we put on an online auction. So we canvassed local businesses for yeah. services and products that they would donate. And then the, the auction was on for a week and you could bid on different things, right? Yeah. You could bid on vacations. You could bid on um, coaching services. You could bid on barbecues, fire pits, shoes, whatever, jewelry. Yeah. And we raised $18,000 in one week. Really? Yeah. 
Oh, good God, so, that's amazing. I think that's the power of women working together. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. is this something that other countries and regions can create as well? Is it, you know, it, can mm-hmm. it be replicated? Or Yes, I think absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think there is a networking group uh, run by an expat in Spain. Yeah. So they've done something similar in Spain. Yeah. So um, I think the same thing. Um, I think Melita in Switzerland has something similar. Yeah. So yes, it can be replicated all over the world. Just use the cultural differences as to yes. what would work in your country. Yeah. What is the best method, uh, method of getting the word out about yeah. it? And uh, it's all, I think, through teamwork. So our organization has four founders and we each have a role yeah. in, in, in it. And then we have, I think, about five or six ambassadors and their job is to get the word out. So every month we create a flyer um, and their job is to share it on their own social network yep. and within their own communities because everybody has a different social network yep. and that they may have overlaps, but a lot of them are very different. So yep. uh, that's how they get the word out. And we have at least, uh, I would say every workshop has about 30 people that sign yep. up for it. And that's um, a very manageable group. Yes. And then we help them if, if in the networking part, what do you need help with? And we're very collaborative. So we suggest different other groups that might be yeah. a good fit for them or yeah. coaching or mentoring or whatever yeah. it is. Yes. And it sounds great. And the, the people in the, the groups that you know, anyway, um, are they mostly private sector women? Because I was just wondering if it's something that could also be done in public sector. Because, I mean, I'm not very familiar with public sector. I've always been in private sector. But I know um, women want to succeed, be equal, develop leadership in the public sector as well. And sometimes it seems that it's more of a challenge for them. So do you think it's the type of group that could transfer to a public sector type um, environment or would that not really work i think um taking the uh chamber of commerce example i Mm. think if you go into the public sector you need a high senior management leader who is a woman for example in canada we have a ceo of fedex Yep. who is a woman, right? Yep. Now, if she wanted to do that in the corporate sector, FedEx yep. is a publicly owned company, she would have to be the driver of that yep. or somebody in the US on the yep. board of directors or in a high management position yep. needs to be the driver of it. Yep. For example, um, Cheryl Sandberg, COO yep. of Facebook, publicly held company, she yep. has outwardly talked about female leadership hang on elaine i've lost you so if she come back is wanting to encourage women leadership 
and start something like we have done yep. to educate women and so on, yep. she would have to spearhead that and have a group of ambassadors or yep. a group of women or um, and men too that really, really believed in that yes. and therefore drove it and were pa- so passionate about it that they had everything worked out. Yep. And what they had to do and be consistent and keep yep. pushing and driving it because yep. it takes that amount of passion. It's no good giving lip service to it yes. in the corporate world, in the public sector. We tend to think of, you know, uh, companies that do good companies. All companies want to do good. But how much is it lip service or, you know, branding or whatever? And how much is there real depth to the program? Yeah. I'm an in-depth kind of person. I'm going to do something. I'm, I'm 100% in. Yeah. I'm not going to be wishy-washy about it. I'm going to really stand behind it. If we say we're going to do it every month, we're going to do it every month. Yes. And you have to have that same focus if your corporation isn't the least bit interested in diversity and women then don't even try to do it because it's going to be a a huge uphill battle but if you can find we can Okay, hold on a minute. CEO. Yeah, it's all right. I just had a notification saying my internet connection was unstable. So if I suddenly lose you, I will be back. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, just Just tell me. Okay. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's okay. Yeah. So, but and what about um, government? As in, you know, government administration. Do you think it's something that would happen there? I mean. Ooh, that's a loaded oh. question, Anna. Very loaded question. I'm just thinking, you know, of local councils and things like that. Um, they are they really progress? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, right. We'll move on to the next one. So, <laughs> um, how do you see the future of women's careers and the impact? that they can have on the community over the next decade do you think you know what do you think will happen over the next decade how much development how much growth will it be significant and now we're frozen uh, can you hear me now yeah okay. yeah so i think uh in the future i have great faith in our young people. I I truly do. Young women today, um, I mean, I have a granddaughter who will be graduating from high school um, next year, and she's extremely focused on a career. And I believe that she uh, will get there because she is 100% focused. And um, she's a very hard worker. And for all people say about young people not being that way i see a core of young women that have that determination that aren't going to be detracted that are interested in engineering and math related technology biosciences um organic foods bettering the climate 
you know, whatever it is, and they are going to make a difference. And so um, I think there's nothing but upside for women in the future. I just think business-wise, I think they still need to learn how to negotiate for what they want and work with male um, teams. I think there's still a little bit of work to do because we don't have an equal workforce 50-50 yet. And we don't have, you know, only about 4% of women um, are in the CEO roles. So there's a long way up in that corporate ladder. But I say that women can definitely do it, but it's like a different culture that they have to learn. And if they learn that well, Um, I don't think we need to have, there isn't the me too thing. If you learn how to navigate properly, how to be professional 100% of the time, how to talk to men, you know, in a business way so that the me too doesn't even come up because they know that you're serious. They know your focus. They know where your direction is. Even if you're a gorgeous blonde or whatever, because one of the, the girls I know is um, doing really, really well in fintech. She's yeah. blonde. She's young, whatever. And she, yeah, she gets all those comments. Yeah. But rather than internalizing them and thinking, oh, my God, this is awful. She just shows them her stuff. Right. Yes. And then they yeah. back right off. Yeah. You know, yeah. they might think she's the secretary when they go into the meeting, but they sure leave knowing that she's in charge. You know what I mean? Yep. She and makes I think it clear. You, she makes it clear. And I think that's what women have to do. Yeah. And that's what they will do. They'll grow into their abundance. You know what I mean? Yeah. They have yeah. fantastic skills. They just yeah. have to make sure that they showcase them. Yes. You know? Yep. Exactly. Thank you. Okay, any final piece of wisdom or key strategy that we should keep in mind to help us going forward? I always like putting people under pressure <laughs> with this last question. <laughs> uh, I think you have to, going back to question one, you have to, one, absolutely believe in yourself and your yeah. skill set. You have to network just like guys do. Guys network on the golf course. So women have to learn where and how to network, both with male stakeholders and teams and with female stakeholders and teams. Learn how to network. Network means that you have like-minded things in common. You know how to work together. You're, You're... um, open to referring other people, your collegial, you know, that's what networking is because then it will open up doors for you. Um, get a mentor. I absolutely 100%, even especially in the corporate world, you need a mentor. It can be a guy, it can be a woman, somebody who is willing to help you up the corporate ladder. Yeah. And they're doing it because because they believe in you and you know if it's a male they really are going to help you if they 100% believe in you because they're taking a risk too yes because you know their colleagues could be laughing at them all why are you spending so much time helping so and so blah 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 so they have to be firmly committed into the strengths that you have and the strengths of women as leaders 
and help you that way. And um, don't shy away from a, a male mentor, but a female mentor can be, if they're ahead of you in the corporate world or in entrepreneurship and they can open doors for you, yep. then that's who you should choose as a mentor. I had a mentor in my corporate life and I would never, never, I can unequivocally say never have reached the stage that I was at if I hadn't had a mentor because that person was higher up in the corporation than I was, had a much uh, larger profile with the head office than I did. And so when they were asking for people to lead projects, she would always bring up my name. They hadn't a clue who I was, but because she supported me and said, well, this person can do this, this, and this, and that's what you need. Because they believed in her, they believed in me, even though they didn't really need me. So uh, no me, sorry. So that's the the key part of mentorship. It's invaluable. Yeah. That's my biggest, biggest thing. Find yourself a mentor. Brilliant. Thank you. That is great. Thank you very much, Elaine. It's been lovely. It's fascinating to hear everything and to see the development that's happened over the last few years. And I really, really like the idea of your communities. I think that could help so many people, you know, if they do get into a community because of the support you can get. Mm -hmm. Um, and the skills that you can share. I think it's an amazing idea. Wonderful. Anyway, well, I hope uh, that happens around yeah. the world. Nothing I would love better than to yeah. see something like that around the world. Yeah, that would be fabulous. So, thank you very much. Thank you for appearing on the show again. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your expert advice. And um, I will try not to leave it so long before the next time. <laughs> well, it's it's been my pleasure and thank you so much Anna for having me back on the show I just love uh, talking to you it's been fantastic (laughs) thank you so everybody big thanks to Elaine Slatter thank you all for listening in or watching in depending whether you're listening or watching we will be back again next week so I hope you will join us again on Women Up Radio then have a lovely evening everybody